the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to this 820 AM The Word broadcast special, Heart of the City. Pastors, ministry leaders, and churches have received a call to serve their communities with the love and compassion of Christ. The call is from God's heart to the heart of the city. This is Heart of the City. I'm Chuck Olmstead, the Director of Local Ministry Development for 820 AM The Word. I have a special guest today, and his name is Heinz Licklama, and uh, he is the founder and president of the Apologetics Forum. And uh, Heinz, uh, you are the first nuclear physicist that I've had on the program, a part of the city. So congratulations, you're number one, (laughs) and welcome today. Yeah, thank you. Well, it is interesting because uh, when I, when you and I connected and had a chance to talk about you coming on the program, and uh, I, I wanted a little bit of background information, and and when you ask a PhD for background information, the PhD gives you a lot of background information. So it was really interesting just to read your story and then to uh, read about the Apologetics Forum of Snohomish County and what you're doing today. So. I trust that this will be an interesting conversation. And as always with Heart of the City, we like to hear the backstory of how someone, uh, why someone does what they do, and then how they came to faith. So as I was reading your bio, very interesting, born in the Netherlands in the middle of World War II. Correct. Wow. What did your father do uh, during that time, during the war? Uh, My father was a farmer. Uh, My grandfather was a farmer. And so my father worked on his farm, which was right next door. And uh, that's where I was born, in the house right next door to my grandfather's farm. And uh, so he he farmed for uh, right through the war. And then after the war, uh, he decided that, uh, you know, things were pretty bad after the war. Uh, and he decided that we needed to immigrate to either the U.S. or Canada. And uh, it's Canada where we ended up, uh-huh. in uh, southern Ontario. So do you have any recollection of all uh, uh, during the war itself, or was it mostly you were, you were born during that time, so you probably don't have that much? Uh, I was born in the middle of it. I was just a few years old at the end of the war, but uh-huh. uh, what I do remember— uh, not personally, but from my parents' recollection, is that um, uh, my parents had uh, uh, three children at that time. And uh, since it was during the war, there were uh, Jewish people looking for places of refuge. And my parents uh, did hide a Jewish lady in the attic of our small house for two years until the end of the war. And so she did survive the war. Interesting. And your parents, uh, as I read your bio, were be- strong believers. They were strong believers. Uh, grew up, uh, you know, every Sunday we went to church. So we didn't miss uh, a Sunday. And uh, we did devotions at uh, supper hour all the time. And uh, they read the Bible. We read the Bible. 
So, yes, I grew up in a, a very, um, shouldn't say strict, but very devout family. Mm-hmm. And not uh, not remembering my history that well, I'm, I'm thinking that the Netherlands were neutral, but they were occupied, correct, by uh, Germans. They, they were defeated by Germans in 10 days in 1940, and so our country was occupied until May 1945. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so it, it was not neutral. It was not, no. it was not neutral, uh, I, yes. Yes. Yeah. But they definitely occupied by the Germans, which I do remember. Um, I would imagine those would have been frightening times for your parents and for, and especially to take in uh, someone who is Jewish, you know? I mean, that could have exposed your parents and your whole family. Uh, Yes, it it uh, certainly could. Uh, We were just at the very northern part of Holland, so just about a mile from the dike. So, of course, the Germans were patrolling the dike uh, at the North Sea there. Mm-hmm. And so my parents were very aware of that, of course. Yeah. So so it, how old were you when then you, uh, you moved to Canada? Uh, I was five years old. We, mm-hmm. um, uh, we left from Rotterdam uh, on a boat, uh, 10 days at sea. We arrived in Quebec City and then took a train to southern uh, Ontario where uh, we lived on a, uh, a farm. Part of the the payment for that trip was to, uh, my father was obligated to work for one year for that farmer. So Hmm. he he did. Interesting. So uh, I'm sure even though as a a five-year-old, there was a culture shock. Now, obviously, you were speaking Dutch at the time. Did you then uh, turn to French uh, in Uh, Canada, or was it English? No, actually, my first language is Frisian, which is spoken in the northern province of Holland. And uh, my second language is Dutch. Okay. And then, so, of course, I arrived uh, in southern Ontario. I have an older brother, one year older, Mm -hmm. who who was six. And so we arrived in August the 20th. So soon we had to go to school. Farmer said, uh, uh, you know, the schoolhouse is two miles away. Why don't you send your second son as well to go to school? And so we both started school the same day. Mm-hmm. So it was fortunate for me uh, because I, I was automatically one year ahead of where it would have been. Uh-huh. And I also, uh, of course, we spoke no English. Okay. But when you're steeped in that environment, you pick up the language very quickly. Uh-huh. And so for me, it was fortunate. Yeah, yeah. As an early start in school. So was there, were there any French speakers then in that area, or was it mostly English? Uh, mostly English in the province of Ontario. Okay. Que- Quebec is where uh, French is spoken mm-hmm. predominantly. Yeah. So tell me about life growing up, uh, growing up in a devout family, a uh, Christian family. Uh, do you remember a time when you had to come to an understanding of Jesus and, and what that was all about for you personally? Uh, yes, I, I was, um, you know, we went to church and, and uh, we took catechism. Uh, I grew up in the, the Christian Reformed Church, which is, you know, Dutch background. Mm-hmm. And, and so when I became a teenager, that's when I made a, a commitment uh, to faith in Christ. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, so, so that was, uh, yeah, I never <clears throat> couldn't... <clears throat> 
I can never remember a time where I said, well, maybe God doesn't exist. I just couldn't understand people who thought God didn't exist. I mean, that was just part of our life. Right, right. So after that commitment, uh, profession of faith and that commitment, what was your mindset as far as moving forward? I know uh, you were talking about uh, in your bio that, um, you know, your parents weren't wealthy uh, coming to a new country and that you recognized that if you were going to get to go to college, it was going to be based on your own merit as far as scholarships were concerned, and uh, and that happened. Yes. That, <clears throat> that was a, a motivation for me. Uh-huh. I mean, I had a strong interest in science as a, um, a young boy, and so I saw the future. You know, I can get through high school just fine. Uh, it's free, but if I go to university— uh, I, uh, you know, my parents could not afford the tuition, so I realized I had to uh, earn a scholarship to do that, and that motivated me to study harder. And uh, so that's how I went through college, both the, uh, the undergrad and then for graduate school is a different scholarship system, so I was able to earn a scholarship to get us through that uh, as well. Well, as I'm reading your bio, it says a uh, Ph.D. degree in experimental nuclear physics in 1969. Now, I'm thinking about 1969. The culture was exploding as far as what was happening with the hippie movement, and the Jesus movement was not too far behind, and the, and, and the Beatles happened in 1964. And so there was a lot happening in the 60s during the time you were— in college, and I'm sure you, as a growing up in a conservative, devout Christian family, started seeing uh, some tension there between your beliefs and culture. Well, that didn't uh, impact me too much, the culture, because we, uh, uh, I mean, I went to university every day, and I I had a study. I didn't have time to get into all that, which Uh which was fortunate. Uh, So, but what challenged me was the first year I went to university, uh, the geology professor said, you know, forget what you're taught in the Bible. Look at, look at these layers of sediments. That's, how the, that's really the history of the earth and of the world. So at that point, I understood that there's a conflict here. Mm-hmm. I put that in the back of my mind. It didn't immediately impact what I did, but I put it in the back of my mind saying someday I want to look into this more carefully. Yeah, yeah. And that really became the impetus for you uh, for the future as far as understanding science and faith and that those two aren't mutually exclusive. There is, there, there is a reason why we believe what we believe, and there's foundation to it, isn't there? There, there is, yeah. yeah. And, and so it didn't really hit me seriously until our children— uh, went to school in New Jersey. We immigrated to the U.S. Uh, right after I got my doctorate. Mm-hmm. And I was fortunate enough to be able to get a research job at uh, Bell Telephone uh, uh, Laboratories, which is part of AT&T, you know, pure research. So that gave me a, a good start in um, the high-tech world. It, it was nothing to do with uh, nuclear physics at that point. Uh-huh. But my background in nuclear physics, you know, that helped me uh, and the whole process, the scientific process. And uh, so when our oldest daughter, uh, she was eight at the time, she came home from public school one day and told uh, Gerda, my wife, um, 
teacher says we came from a monkey. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> so I, when I let that uh, uh, dig in a bit, we finally decided, yeah, we're going to have to send our kids to Christian school. Mm-hmm. So we were able to do that at that point. And uh, then when we moved to California, uh, uh, where I, I worked with a, a startup in the high-tech industry, uh, we were able to send our kids to um, Christian school as well. So uh-huh. they, they have a good uh, foundation. Yeah, yeah. So were you in the San Francisco area, San Jose no, area? No, or? I was in the uh, um, L.A., Santa Monica area. Oh. Yeah. Well, the Santa Monica Pier and the promenades, the promenades, not too bad either to uh, be down no, in that area. No. <laughs> we, we didn't live right there. We lived in Northridge. Uh-huh. Which uh, in the San Fernando Valley. Yes. And uh, as you might recall, that's where the earthquake happened in 1994. Uh, uh, 94 was yeah. a big Northridge uh, earthquake. Right. Yeah. And, and uh, yeah, in fact, I uh, had a good friend down there that uh, his house was in Selmar. And uh, yeah. I helped uh, go down and help repair his house uh, with him uh, after that earthquake. Yeah. But um, so you're, you're, you saw your children kind of go through, as I, we were talking about culture wars in the early 60s, but there, you, you saw that happening in Southern California, especially as they migrated from, from high school into college, that they were challenged as well, I'm sure, in their faith and what they understood and yeah. the conflicts with, with uh, what the professors were teaching. So what happened, what happened next? You came up here to Washington— and uh, t- talk to me about how you got involved in what's what's called in Christian terms apologetics. Yeah, and and we'll talk. We'll ask as well. What does apologetics mean? Sure. <laughs> well, another part of the background is in California. We lived there for 16 years, from um, 78 till 94, and uh, our our kids went through high school, and a few of them went to college as well. That's where they grew up. When they were teenagers, uh, you know, we have five children, and uh, at one point we had five teenagers in the home, and uh, wow. we, we survived that, and they survived <laughs> very well as, as well. Uh-huh. Uh, but I got involved in teaching uh, the youth group at church, and uh, we, my, my wife and I, we were involved with the youth. Well, our kids were going through that phase. So I feel that was very instrumental in giving them a good foundation in their in their faith. Uh-huh. And and so when we moved up to to uh, Washington State here, um, uh, our children were all out of the house. You know, they're on their own. Right. A n- number of them were married already and had uh, grandchildren. So it was a different kind of environment. You know, yeah. we're empty nesters. Yeah. Uh, but I was involved in in church. And um, involved in missions, uh, I ran a missions committee at our church for 10 years. That gave me a lot of context overseas mm-hmm. with missionaries and Bible schools there. So since I was a, ran a consulting business up here, uh, I could determine how much time I spent on work and uh, uh, teaching on apologetics. And so eventually um, I got involved in doing a course on apologetics at uh, a number of Bible schools overseas. Mm-hmm. And uh, just to answer your question, what's apologetics? Yeah. Well, that's based on the Greek word apologia, uh, which means defense of. Hmm. So we are not apologizing for our faith. We are to, de- 
to be able to defend what we believe and uh, you know, using First Peter 3.15 and uh, Jude 3 as the basis for that. And First th- Peter 3.15 says what? Uh, basically that we need to be able to uh, defend the hope that we have in Christ and uh, do we, d- to defend our faith. Why do we believe what we believe? And uh, I find, and the reason I, I, I was involved in this, because I find that many people, even Christians, really don't know what they believe, wh- why they believe it, and if they're asked questions by skeptics, how to defend what they believe. You know, those three things are very important. Well, especially in these days, uh, as as we've seen where people start talking about, well, that's your truth and I have my truth and, and uh, you know, you go ahead and believe what you want to believe and I'll believe my truth because my truth is just as important as your truth and this relativism that takes place and oftentimes Christians don't know how to even address those kinds of conversations. Yes. And so in part of your writing, and of course, you talk about learning how to walk uh, and embrace a, a uh, Christian worldview. What do you mean by a Christian worldview? Well, we all have a, a view of what we see in the world. And uh, how do we interpret what we see? That's what it comes down to. It, it's sort of a, the worldview is a lens into what we see. And uh, the, um, uh, growing up and later as well, I always ask the question, if God is who he says he is, yeah, he wrote in his word, then what we see in the world, his work, must also agree with his word. Hmm. And uh, so that, that's part of my challenge. That's why I do these lectures uh, addressing topics like that. And as you'll see, um, many of my lectures have been involved in one of three topics. Either it's addressing the big roadblock, the stumbling block for youth, and that is creation versus evolution. How do you explain what do we see in the world what does it tell us about creation? What does it tell us about uh, evolution, if evolution is science? Uh, and the second thing is just general Christian apologetics. How, how do we defend our faith? And then the third is biblical worldview. If we believe, uh, you know, what we believe, we must also live that in our lives. Otherwise, what we believe is meaningless. Mm-hmm. Well, you, uh, in part of uh, your writing that you'd sent to me, you'd, you'd sa- you said, throughout my adult life, I've always wanted to demonstrate that if God is who he says he is, then what we observe in his creation is what you call general revelation, uh, must uh, match with special revelation, yeah. in other words, his word. So expand on that just a little yeah. bit. Well, another way of saying it is, uh, ask the good question, does what you believe to be true match reality. In other words, I believe the Bible is true, then uh, that's what I believe. Does that match what I see in the world? Is that real? And uh, I like um, a number of ways I defend what I believe. One is we depend on the Bible being true. I I take God at its word. And and so um, what does that mean? 
we can defend the truth of the Bible in a number of different ways. And the way I like to do it is saying, look at uh, um, archaeology confirms the truth in the Bible. Many places, your Dead Sea Scrolls, the uh, Abla Tabbats, all those things, they, they confirm what's in the Bible is truth. Uh, second is the, uh, history and geography. And I take the, the books of uh, Luke and Acts as examples of that. All that has been shown to be true, the true history, true geography, and many examples of that. Fourth thing is prophecy. There are more than a thousand prophecies in the Bible. Um, more than half of those have already been fulfilled. That tells a lot. Mm-hmm. So those four things, and then the, the fifth thing, uh, so all the things confirm the truth in the Bible. Then people ask, well, what about science? There are scientific statements in the Bible are they true? And a few years ago, or a few hundred years ago, I would say, uh, people couldn't see the truth in all those scientific statements. Today, with a telescope, microscope, we know of the truth of those scientific statements. And uh, I gave, in lectures I do, I give uh, quite a few examples of that, specific examples. Yeah. Well, as I was uh, reading your, uh, the Apologetics Forum uh, statement of belief, the, 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 the one thing that struck me, because I've been to, you know, several apologetics conferences. In fact, you and I uh, just recently attended the Worldview Apologetics Correct. Conference, and, um, you know, those are always interesting. Um, and... and um, the, the thing that I appreciated about your statement of belief is, you know, you said that we're always uh, to be ready to give an intelligent, biblically accurate defense of the Christian faith with gentleness and respect. Correct. And so Correct. oftentimes people think or, or maybe have experienced when someone's trying to defend their faith, first of all, they get sometimes get pretty animated and pretty, pretty angry sometimes, you know. But yet there's a, you know, a, tr- a true believer understands that there is, there is a gentleness to the gospel, yes. isn't there? And yes. there's, a, there's, a, uh, there's a respect that occurs within the gospel. So expand on right. that just a little bit. Yeah, I, I take those two words very seriously. I mean, we, we shouldn't come down on skeptics that uh, say, you know, you're just wrong and, and get angry at them. You know, we need to listen to what, belie- what they believe and explain to them why that doesn't match what the Bible says. Mm-hmm. And we need to do it with respect. And uh, I deal with quite a few different skeptics uh, over the years, and we've had these conversations going on for many years. And, and so, you know, I, I, I make certain that I can do that. And in particular, like in the apologetics form, you know, we have a, a different speakers come in on a once-a-month basis to give a lecture on something to do with apologetics in those three areas I mentioned before. Uh, And uh, it's very important that that they do it with respect because we do have skeptics come to the meetings too. Mm -hmm. And and, uh, we should listen to them and be able to explain why we believe what we believe. The other thing that uh, in the statement of belief, and we've just got a couple of minutes left, so I want to make sure we, we, we talk about this, is the importance and the centrality is Jesus Christ. Correct. So share about that just for a few minutes. Yeah. Well, we have a very concise statement of belief. Uh, It is, uh, we are uh, by design uh, non-denominational, and because we feel our message is uh, 
uh, pertinent to all of these different denominations. And, and so we need to be careful that we don't focus on things that have nothing to do with the three areas that we are focused on. You know, for example, we know there's controversy in baptism, infant baptism. and right. uh, We don't get into that. That's the church's issue. Right. And that's not important in defending our faith. It's Jesus who died on the cross, who, who died for our sins, and uh, God provided a way of salvation to us is the centrality of our faith. And then out of that comes an understanding that uh, all that we have and all that we are is a gift from God, and he does that, we do that with understanding. Heinz, I want to thank you for joining me today on Heart of the City. If you want to reach out to uh, Heinz uh, Leglama, it's Heinz at O-S-T-A dot com. Thank you for joining me today on Heart of the City. It's been a pleasure. God bless. You've been listening to this 820 AM, the word special Heart of the City. For more information on how your pastor or your ministry can be featured on 820 AM, the word, call Chuck Olmstead. 206-269-6216 or go to thewordseattle.com Three-star general Michael J. Flynn head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency knew all the government's dirty secrets He was one of the most respected generals in the military Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to He understood its funding He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors This set off alarm bells the explosive new documentary Flynn deliver the truth whatever the cost and covers the facts behind this scandal Flynn told the truth he was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America they took my assessment and they wanted me to change it I was like I'm not changing it they had to get rid of Flynn With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.